It's good now. Okay, shalom. Hello. So I'm going to right away get started because it's a very long parak. I will just say parak hafbet. Parak hafbet is a return to the narrative. So we had 12 chapters of conquest and 13 to 21 basically was division of the land. And the last three chapters, 22, 23, 24, are chapters that are more the usual narrative. Now, actually, the story in um, Parakhaf Bet in chapter 22 is an extremely interesting story. And actually, it's one of these stories that's like not so well known. People don't know this story. People, it's just sort of, I feel like, you know, people, when they get to Yeshua, as soon as they like finish Parakhaf Bet, they kind of give up. And I think it's a shame. It's, it's a fascinating chapter and it sheds light on a lot of very, very important stories. So let's, uh, let's go to the screen share. And... Uh, and we can look at that. What is this? I'm afraid to close it, but okay. Let's start here. I always like to start with this form because it has the paragraphing here. If you see, now the 34 psukim in this parak. The first, the first ketha, the first paragraph is from Pasuk Aleph to Vav. The first six psukim are um, the uh, Yoshua at, at the end of the whole story of dividing the land, and after the conquest, seven years of conquest, and seven years of dividing the land, and Yoshua tells the two and a half tribes that they can go home back to the East Bank. Um, here, the second part is Zion and Chet, and that is a, a, sh a shorter, a, a specific um, connection that Yoshua talks to the, the half tribe of Manasseh. I'm going to explain that. And then from Tet to Yudbet, the plot thickens because the two and a half tribes, as they leave, do something that creates a tremendous controversy. And the Jewish people hear about it, they're very angry. And in verses 13 to 20, we have the the confrontation where the the nine and a half, let's say, tribes from the east, from the West Bank um, confront the two and a half tribes and complain to them about their their suspicions of what they've done. And in verses 21 to 29, we have the response of the two and a half tribe, which is really uh, enlightening and fascinating. And then at, uh, from 30 to 34, we have the resolution. So if we, if we want to talk about this in, in a global sense, once, once the tribes settle, and if you take a look at our map, okay, you see here, the Jordan River represents a, a very serious boundary between the nine and a half tribes and the two and a half tribes. And the, the challenge is going to be now that we're in this place where uh, it, it, we're, coming to, we're coming down the wire. We, we've, 
more or less done a global uh, uh, entry into the land, we've taken right the different portions. And now how do we create, how do we create a national unity out of this band of tribes? And it's interesting, I think it's a little bit analogous to the United States of America, for those of us who are American, because when the Americans came together, you know, after the War of Independence, they had a similar situation. They had then at that time 13 tribes, and they had to make a government out of it. So we always have, until today, we have the push me pull you of state government things and federal government things. And even now, the most recent Supreme Court decision, which I wouldn't go into, but even that really what we're doing is uh, transferring the decision-making from the federal government to the state governments and everything is so controversial. So I think it's very analogous here. We have each tribe and we know that each tribe has a certain personality, a certain characteristic and each tribe has their place and it has their things, right? And now we have to make a unified country out of it. But to throw a monkey wrench into the works, we take two and a half of those tribes and we put them on the other side of a river. So how are we going to forge a united nation here, excuse the expression, if you want to have put two and a half on this side? And this is gonna be the challenge and this is gonna be the problem. Okay, so I wanna stop start for a minute by looking back at Parshas Matos. And we are actually in these Parshas now. Matos is like, where we were in Balak this week in Israel, that is, and uh, Penchas Matos two, two weeks ahead, and we'll have a, a preview, okay? And I'm gonna give you a, a very quick summary of what we're seeing here, because we can't go into this whole parak here. Reuben and God had a lot of cattle, and they wanted to stay in the two and a half tribes, and they come to Moshe, and you can follow here in the, in the English, if you like, or in the Hebrew, whatever works for you. And they come and they say, you know, this is really great pasture land here on the East Bank of the Jordan. We'd like to stay here. And Moshe's very upset. He's like, what do you mean? He's in his mind going back to the story of the spies, people who don't want to go into the land of Israel, and you're going to make people discouraged. Why would you do that? You're just a, a bunch of sinners. And they're like, wait, no, 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 Moshe, no, no. We have every intention of going over the, to the Jordan and helping the Jewish people settle. We're going to do that, right? And Moshe's like, you know, and um, uh, you're in Pasuk Yudal, he says, you're, you're a chata'im. you're a culture of, of sinners. And they're going to add God's anger here. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to go ahead. Not only will we fight with our brothers, we're going to be the vanguard. We're going to be the ones who fight at the beginning of the, right? We're not going to go home. Now, this is interesting here. If you look at your head, we're not going to go home until everyone gets their nachla. Now, if you look back what Moshe said, right? Um, No, Moshe says it afterwards, I'm, I'm, I'm confusing. Okay, they say, we will go in front of everyone. We will stay with our brothers. We're gonna be chushim, we're gonna be fast in front of them until they have their place. We're not gonna return until they each have their nachala. And we're not gonna come here and settle our land 
if our brothers haven't settled theirs? And Moshe says, well, okay, if you do that, okay, right? If you do that, so that's good, right? We'll, um, but if you don't do it, it will be a sin. And he says to them, um, until, in verse Chafalev, until uh, Hashem throws at the enemies. In other words, Moshe is giving them a bit of a kula. He says, until you finish the kibush. Now what happens is seven years of conquest, seven years of division, and Moshe is saying seven years of conquest, then he can come home. And they're actually volunteering to do the seven years of uh, division as well. And we have this very interesting thing here. He's, they said, we're gonna, we're gonna take care of our cattle and our children. And Moshe said, no, 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 no. You can take care of your children and your cattle, right? A very gentle rebuke. And he says, uh, okay, all right, we'll do that. Now, what's interesting is, if you notice, this whole story is only Reuben and God. Reuben and God have a lot of flocks. Now, if you go to Pasig Lamed Gimel here, all of a sudden, Moshe puts the half-tribe of Menashe into this story. And it doesn't seem like the half-tribe of Menashe actually has the same amount of flocks. We don't hear that but they have been put into this story. Okay, we'll get back to that later, back to our story. Now, okay, so we start here. I just wanted you to understand. The two and a half tribes now have done their duty, seven years of conquest, seven years of division, and along comes Yoshua. Yoshua calls the two and a half tribes. And Pasik Bet, Bayomar Lame, Atem Shmart, Miskoshitibatha Moshe Ebenachem, Atishma Ubukoli, Rahoshitibitim. You guys, you listen to everything that Moshe, the servant of God, did, and you listen to my voice, everything that I told you. You're good. Pasikim, Allah is after the Tachem, Zayamim Rabim. You did not abandon your brothers for many, many long days, 14 years, right? And you kept the Mishmeret Mitzvot of Hashem. And now God has let your um, uh, brothers rest as he spoke. And now, now you can go back to the, to the place where Moshe gave you Nachla. Moshe, the servant. A few language things that I want to point out here. First of all, this Uz. Uz Yoshua. This is something that we see. Uz Yashir. We had. Um, there's something very dramatic, poetic about this Uz, Uz Yashir, right? Uz, then at that point, Yoshua calls them and says, you guys have been really good. You've done everything you're supposed to do. Another thing that's very interesting here that, um, that Yoshua keeps saying, Moshe Eved Hashem, Moshe Eved Hashem. You would think after 14 years of leadership that Yehoshua's um, monumental reverence for his Rebbe 
has like sort of, you know, taken a back seat to his own leadership qualities, but it's a very, very humble Yoshua who talks about Moshe like this, right? He's very, Moshe and Hashem, I'm just, I'm just the second in command. And he tells them, guys, you, you did it. Now it's interesting that the Alshaf points out they're done. They're done after seven years with what they were obligated to do. And even after the 14 years that they volunteer to do extra, they don't go until Yoshua says, guys, you could go now. A tremendous uh, respect and devotion here. I mean, they're really, really being amazing. Now, I just want to point out, like if we're going to do life lessons here, the one of the other things that we have in Parshas Matos, where we talk about the two and a half tribes, is the idea of Nadarim. When you make a vow, you better keep it. And it's interesting, I didn't bring the Tanakh, it's interesting that in Kohelet, Perakhei, I believe, the beginning, Shlomo Melech says, if you make a vow, don't make a vow. But if you make a vow, keep it. Better, better to not make a vow than to, than to make a vow and not keep it. So here is our first lesson. What you promise, keep. Because that says in, in, at the beginning of Parshish Matos, when it's talking about vows, it says, don't make your words profane. Whatever you takes out of your mouth, you should do. It's a very important lesson for us because many times, you know, we say, well, I'll do it, I'll do it, you know, and, and it's, it's really a good idea to pepper your words with the, you know, because you don't want to get into that neder stuff. But even what you say that's not a neder, you should honor what you say. We, we believe in dover method say what you mean and, and, and keep to it. And this is a very great praise for the two and a half tribes. They said, we'll stay until everyone's got their nachala, and they do, they keep that. Um, okay, now Pasuke. Pasuke is like, it, it, it's just a beautiful Pasuk. Yoshua is now giving directions to essentially a bunch of people who are going to be living outside of Israel. So for those of us who live in Israel, we are privileged, but there's many people who don't live in Israel, right? And it's very, very difficult to maintain that connection, to maintain that balance. Even just on the other side of the Jordan, you see that he's concerned. Again, the things that you have to do, the Torah, the learning, and to love Hashem, to go in all of God's ways, what the Gemara and Sota says means goes with God's midot, the midot of God's rachamim, as God is slow to anger and God is merciful and gracious, right? Keep his mitzvot, cling to God. This verse could easily be in the Chumash. It's such a, a, a piece of Sefer Dvarim here. And serve God with all your hearts and all your souls. This is your directive. You may not be able to stay in the land of Israel with its inherent holiness that people who, who come here, who stay here, who live here, recognize. But you have to cling to Akash Baruch no matter where you are. And that's going to be your job in Chutzlaret. And he's giving them this Musa. Pasig Bav, Vayivarchem Yeshua Vayishalchem, Vayelchu El Ohalehem. 
I hope that's our, our second lesson. No matter how far you are, cling to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and go in his ways. Okay. Now, in Pasuk Zayin Chet, Yeshua focuses more on the tribe, the half-tribe of Menashe, which I mentioned to you, I showed you before, that in Bamidbar, they're not the ones who volunteer the idea of staying on the East Bank, but they're kind of volunteered by Moshe Rabbeinu. So in Pasuk Zayin, V'lachatzi shevet ha-Menashe natan Moshe babashan, u'lechetzi natan Yeshua imachei me'ever ha-yadein yama, it's a little bit of a strange language, but let's first look at the map for a second. The Bashan is what we would call today the Golan. Even, even the, you know, in the earlier program where we mentioned the Bashan, there's a city called Golan. Today it's Golan. This is the area of this part of Menashe. And Menashe on the West Bank gets this one. This, they get a lot of land. Okay, going back to Pasuk, right? Moshe gave them the Bashan, and the other half Yahushua gave them on the West Bank. Vigam Kishilcham, right? Vigam Kishilcham, what does that mean? When he sent them, he blessed them. It seems as if from the Gam, it's, it's a strange thing. You know, the Mitsuda says, Yahushua also told them an additional thing when he sent them. There's, that's the Gam. Which is the same as Smalot. Now, one of the interesting things here is that we have no idea if half of Shevet Menashe had the many flocks that Reuben and God had. They're not the same, they're not in the same category. So it would seem that they're getting an extra bracha. That's what it looks like. God, he says to them, you are going back with a lot of wealth, neches, a lot of property with, um, go back to your tents, you're going to have cattle, take cattle and silver and gold and bronze and, and, and iron and a lot of uh, uh, clothing. All of this stuff they got as uh, plunder from the, the tribes that they had conquered. And you're going to go home with all this wealth, this extra wealth. So it is, in essence, Yeshua is giving you an extra bracha for Parnassa because it's not, uh, it's not like we wouldn't God what they had. Now, what, what's going on with the half shaved of Menashe, and why did Moshe do that? So, uh, it's a, um, it seems as if, right, there's different commentators who, who take this opinion. And Moshe Rabbeinu also was concerned for the unity of the people. And he's so upset when Reuven and God come to him. And he's trying to figure out, how do I unify these, you know, two tribes on the other side of the Jordan. So Moshe comes up with a plan. He says, I'm going to split Menashe, and Menashe is going to have family ties on either side of the Jordan, and they'll be naturally connected to each other because they're brothers. They're of the same tribe. Extended families are going to be divided across the, across the Jordan. So they're going to have a natural affinity 
for each other and a natural connection. It's interesting that um, the Chazal say, why Menashe? Menashe was the son of Yosef. And Yosef says, bury me in Israel. And they're still having trouble with the Kever Yosef, even though it's bought and paid for. But okay, so Yosef is buried up there in Shechem, which is a nasty neighborhood. Let's say, But Yosef doesn't want to stay in Egypt, his bones. And not only that, but who else comes from the tribe of Menashe? The daughters of Tzlafchad, who come forward with this beautiful love of the land, right after they arrive and say, we want to have a share in the land. We don't care that we're females. <clears throat> so Menashe, with their love of the la land, are the ones who are going to be the most connected to the land on the other side. And because there are halves on each side of the Jordan, they will be connecting to each other. So they're kind of a bridge, which just seems to be um, the idea. Now, at the end of this passage, I just I want to add something there that seems that to me, if it looks like Yoshua is giving him an extra bracha, and I would say that that would be another life lesson, which we have in the Mishnah and Avos, which is Lefum Tsara Agra according to the trouble is the reward. Menashe is going to have it harder than the other two tribes because they're leaving their brothers behind. And I'm sure that my, my daughter Zahava could tell you a little bit about leaving your siblings behind on the other side of the ocean. It's very difficult. I myself went through that. I left my family. Very happy that Debbie made Aliyah. <laughs> but you have this, this family split so it seems as if they're going to get an extra reward because they're going to go through that. Now, he gives them also an important piece of, of advice here. At the end of Pasuket, divide the spoils of your enemies with your brothers. So that's a very interesting thing. What exactly does it mean? Which brothers are they referring to? So there's a number of opinions about that. And Rashi says, one opinion, B'nai Ruven Negad, the other two tribes, but Yesh Potrin, Imachechem Shinisharu Shmortarim Mashin Lata, below Rutayadim Machalutim, the Gamhem Natu Helek Babisa. This is a very important thing to me to take a few minutes and explain. When you look at the census, the count of the two and a half tribes or of Ruven Gad and Menashe, you come up back in Bamidbar before they come into the land, you come up with about 100,000 people. And if you go back to the beginning of Sefer Yeshua and Perak Dalet, I believe, Pasek Yedbed, if I'm not mistaken, one second. I think I have that. Uh, yeah, Perak it says that there were about 40,000 of those two and a half tribes that went to fight. So what happened to the other 60,000? And apparently they didn't leave their families all alone. Many, many uh, men stayed behind to protect the tribes on the East Bank, the women, the children, the cattle. And it's interesting because probably, you know, it's, we could theorize that over the 14 years that they rotated. Although um, Rashi says earlier in the, in the Navi that 
that they were the Gibor Echail, the best warriors went over. But either way, there's another, many people on the other side of Jordan, and they also can share the spoils, which brings us to another important lesson. Share, because <laughs> that's the Torah way, right? We don't have to be, uh, keep everything for ourselves. And this is an important lesson that Yoshua gives them. Divide the spoils. Now, if you take a look now, let's move on. Um, something weird is going on here. Okay. And they returned, and they went, the two and a half, right, from Israel, from Shiloh, right, from the land of Canaan, to go to the Gilad, to the land of their Nahla, which they had taken hold of. Everything is emphasized. They're doing everything according to the right way. They're doing what they're supposed to. Now take a look here. Yeshua calls them. Now Yeshua lives in a place called Timnat Serach, which is Harephraim, which should be here, right here, Timnat Serach. Let's see if I can make this bigger. You see here Timnat Serach. And then they go to Shiloh, which is here, and their way to the Gilad, which is here. This is a very long leave taking. And it seems as if it's hard for them to leave Eretz Yisrael. And I think that anyone who has been on either side of the ocean during Corona can appreciate how difficult it is to leave Eretz Yisrael. And for so many people, it was so hard to get into Eretz Yisrael. I mean, it's the, the amount of tourists that are here now, it's like, it's insane. Like so many people, they couldn't get here for two years, three years, and they're just dying to come. They don't even have a plan. They just want to be here. It's amazing. The love that Jews have for Eretz Yisrael, it's really amazing. So you see here that the two and a half tribes, even though they have their nachala, they seem to be, there's something here that's very interesting. They seem to be dragging their feet a little bit. Because there's so many times that they left by Yavo, by Yeshua, by Yehu, right? By Yachem, Yeshua, by Shachem, by Yehu. Like they keep going and not going. Shilcham Yeshua Alechem. He blesses them, he sends them, they go back, they go back, and they go, and then they go to Shiloh. Why do they go to Shiloh? They want to say goodbye to Shiloh, they want to make Karbanot. It's going to be very hard for them to be on the other side of the Jordan. And that brings us. To what happens. I just want to make another comment here. The Medrash says that every time they left Yoshua, they asked permission to leave again, which is an interesting lesson in, in Derech Eretz. You know, you, you have that Derech Eretz. And, and there's another Medrash that takes it even further and says, the B'nai God, Ruvain and Chayef of Menashe, they're the ones who told Yoshua back in Perak Aleph, we're here for you, Yoshua. If anyone starts up with you, we'll get we'll take care of them. Remember that. Anyone who doesn't listen to you, you know, they deserve death. So they were kind of Yoshua's men. So Yoshua escorts them to the border. And then they see Yoshua going back by himself. They won't well, we want him to go back by himself. So they escort him back to Timnat Serach, right? And then they go back. 
so there's something that we funny about this, but that's the Medrash. The Medrash says they were so hard for them to leave Yoshua, so hard for them to leave the land of Israel. And all of a sudden, we skip to the next section, Pasuk Yedalah. And what is going on here? The children of Israel here, it's interesting how we are told this. We're told this by way of how the Bnei Israel hear it, right? They heard that the two and a half tribes built a Mizbeach, an altar, Mul Eretz Canaan, facing Eretz Canaan, El Galilo Tayardain, which seems to be the Gilgal, right? El Eva B'nai Israel. And if you look at the map, right? Here's Gilgal. Before they cross over, they build a massive altar. Now, um, I'm sorry, I think I skipped the Pasuk. I should make this clearer. Yes, I did. Yud. And Pasuk Yud, by Yavo Glilo Tayer Dane, Asher Be'eretz Kanan, by Yibnu B'nei Ruvain, B'nei Gad, Chazishev and Avnash Hashem, Mizbeach, Al Hayer Dane, Mizbeach Adol Marath. It's a very important Pasuk. First of all, it's telling us that they went to Gilgal. Glilo Tayer Dane is the, uh, you know, the Transjordan. It's always called the other side of Jordan. But they're heading from west to east here. And they stop at Gilgal, Glilotayardain, in the land of Canaan, which means they're on the west bank, and they build a Mizbeach. Mizbeach Gadol, enormous Mizbeach. So what's the problem? Okay, right? Oh, uh, So it's later on. In any event, we see here a, a strange thing that they do. They build a, an altar. Now, the, the fact is, right, um, here, that's the Rashi I was looking for. This is Pasuket Aleph, If you remember, back in chapter 18, the Jewish people set up the Mishkan and Shiloh. Now, once there's a Mishkan and Shiloh, you're not allowed to have private altars. They're centralized worship. Now, if the two and a half tribes were setting up an altar, which would be, so to speak, an alternative to Shiloh, where would they set it up? Logically, you would have to say they would set it up on the East Bank where they're going to be living. But they set up this Mizbeah on the West Bank, on the, on the West side of the Jordan. Not only that, it's Gadol, the Mare, it's like a, a big thing that's like, uh, you know, uh, gigantic. Like we know, we know the, the dimensions of the Mizbeah that was built in the, in the desert, but not so big. People know a few amas up and down I forget the numbers but this is like a gigantic thing right and then you Aleph and the Bnei Israel here by Yishmu Bnei Israel Leimor he nei banu Bnei Ruvim nei Gai v'chazi shevem nashat samizbeah 
right? El mul eretz kedad, el yirot eretz The Jewish people hear about this. What happened here? What is the reaction of the Jewish people? Right? There's two hearings here. Pasuket Aleph they heard, Pasuket Beit they heard. The Abarbanel says the first time, right, El Muller is Kenan, they are rebelling against the national unity of the tribes. And Abarbanel says the second one, right, they're uh, attacking the unity of God at Shiloh. And the Jewish people are very, very angry. They're very, very angry. And they say, what are they doing? It's very, very interesting because if you examine this whole story, you see it's kind of hard. First, we have Yoshua saying, you guys did a great job. You've been so good, right? You've been so amazing. And then you see their utter respect for Yoshua and you see their reluctance to leave and they're going to Shiloh and they're good guys. But the Jewish people look at this and say, how dare they? What are they doing? Let's attack. This is an extremely disturbing story. It's, it's interesting to me. Most people never heard of this story. But it's a really, really important story. It's very, very critical. It's very critical to think about the relationship between the different tribes, <laughs> the relationship between the Jews in Israel and Jews in the, in the diaspora. Right here, we have an example of how <clears throat> people jump to conclusions. If you have a good person who for 14 years, this crowd, for 14 years they've been with you, leaving their families behind, leaving everything behind, and sticking with you, and fighting with you, and being there for you, don't they get any credit? Don't they get a kafsachot? kind of shocking. It's kind of shocking. What's driving the Jewish people here? It seems to me that what's driving them is fear. They're afraid that their carefully constructed unity is going to fall apart. And if you look ahead to Sefer Shoftim, you'll see that it's a very real fear. They're afraid, on the one hand, that these two and a half tribes will secede, right? United we stand, divided we fall. I remember the Civil War in the United States. They're afraid of that. They're also afraid that the, en uh, the entry onto the scene of a different altar will bring in different type of worship, bring in a different type of worship, in, in other words, idolatry. So they're very afraid on many, many counts. On the other hand, right, we are supposed to judge people the kafsahut, and that's our next lesson. We have to give people kafsahut. These people are really good people. And, you know, <clears throat> the, the, uh, the Gemara talks about who gets kapsahut. People who are generally good people, they deserve kapsahut. And even people who are occasional sinners deserve kapsahut. You don't necessarily have to give that to a complete Russia. But here, it's quite a little bit shocking. So let's, uh, let's give them a chance. And people act hastily. But what do they do here? It's not entirely a lost cause. Pasuket Gimel. Vayishlachu b'nei Yisrael 
אל בני ובן אל בני גוי ואל חצי שבע בנשא לארץ גלעד את פנחס בן אלעזר הכהן. Now this is interesting, why Pinchas? It would seem that Yeshua, Yeshua is at this point quite an old man. Pinchas is, is younger. I we see Pinchas a lot and Pinchas gets quite old in the service of the Jewish people. And then he, the Medrash says he morphs into Eliyahu. But meantime, if you think about it, he is Aaron's grandson, right? And the incident at Baal Peor at that time He, he was young enough that he was born after, or he was born before, before Aaron became a Kohen. So you have to figure he's not as old as Yoshua. So that's one thing. Another thing is there's a great symbolism to Pinchas being chosen. And this is actually in this week's Parsha. Ding, 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 ding. I love when we hit our Parsha. That's always fun. This is not true in Hul, I'm sorry. You're, you guys are still on Hukas. But in Israel, we're in Balak. At the end of Balak, here, take a look here. The children of Israel, this is after Bilam and his nefarious attempts to hurt us, right? At this point in time, the Jewish people stayed in Shittim and they began to sin with the daughters of Moab and they started eating with them and uh, bowing down to their idols and they, they became attached to Baal Pornet. I, I don't know. Baalpur is like the most offensive and disgusting form of pagan idol worship that there is. I mean, the worship of this idol involved defecating in front of it. Rav Chaim Shlomitz has an amazing piece on the Baalpur, if you're interested, checking that out. Rav Chaim Shlomitz is in English, for those who are interested, and he talks about how that's such a, a complete um, denial of your humanity to do that. You just become a beast. Okay, Pasek Dal, and Hashem says to Moshe, take them all and then punish them. And, um, and then a man from Israel, right, takes this Midianite princess in front of everyone and makes a public display of their um, sleeping together. And Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Cohen, that's this week's parsha in Balak, he gets up with a spear and he kills them. And Hashem says to Moshe, Pinchas returned my anger. He, he was zealous for me and I didn't destroy the Jewish people for, because of his zealousness. And therefore I'm giving him a covenant of peace. And he's going to be a Kohen forever because he, he um, atoned for the Jewish people. And that was the famous story of the Prince of Shimon, Zimri, and the princess of Midian, uh, daughter of the king, Kazbi Batsur. Getting back to our story. So who is Pinchas? And why do they choose Pinchas? They choose Pinchas because he is a man who can, um, first of all, he's right, he's the Kohen, and he's able to do drastic action if necessary, but it's the Shem Shamayim. And he has the Kahuna, the Brit Shalom of Kahuna. So he's also a person who could bring peace. It's very, very kind of um, symbolic that he is the head of the delegation. And Pasi Gedalad, but Asara Nasiyamimon, Yisrael, One man each from the 10 tribes, you have to figure that 
the western side of Menasha sends someone as well, because there's 10, not nine and a half here, half, and a, <laughs> half a, a delegate wouldn't work. And they send this mission. And now they come with their complaints and they say, hey, what are you doing? All of this congregation, these diplomats that are sent on this mission, Ma'al is treachery. Ma'al is treachery. How have you betrayed? How could you betray God and build this, build this altar to rebel against God? They're furious. This is the 10 um, Adat Hashem, the 10 delegates. Prosecute Zion. Isn't it enough that we sin with Pa'or? And this is the story that we just said, right? We're still filthy from that guilt of that horrible thing. There's a lot of different interpretations for that. That's the shot, right? That was a terrible sin. He had negative for that. There was a, a plague in the congregation of God. And if you think about this, what's the message here? Okay. The message here is you can't do this to us. What does that have to do with you? And that's another one of our important lessons. Call Yisrael If Zimri sinned with Cusby, there was a plague in which 24,000 people died. Because if we talked about the collective guilt back in the story of Achan, which they're going to mention in a minute, because Achan was one man and 36 people were killed at Ai because of the sin of Achan when he stole from the Chayim of Yericho back in chapter 7. What did those 36 people do? There seems to be a collective guilt that we're all together, that we all feel for each other, that an atmosphere is created, we talked about it in Parag Zion, an atmosphere is created where it doesn't seem so terrible to do this sin, and we all pay the price. So they say, if you sin, you guys, we're going to suffer. We don't want to suffer for your sin. What are you doing? Right? Pasuk Yudchet. Ba'atem tashu hayom me'acharei Hashem. Ba'yatem temedu hayom Hashem. Umachar al-kodas Yisraelito. Exactly. You're going to return from going after God. And you're going to rebel against God. And tomorrow he's going to be mad at all of us. We're all going to suffer for this. Because we have this principle, we have some kind of weird collective thing going on, you know, and until today. And I think that Jews have this more than any other nation. We, we're tightly connected to each other. Even today, you know, when we hear about this horrible July 4th shooting, well, all of a sudden I heard that two Jews were killed and I had such a clock, such a clock, terrible. I mean, it's terrible that anyone was killed, but you, somehow we have a Kesha with each other. And if anyone's interested, my sister sent me a, a Facebook post from Jenna McKenna, Jenna Baslin, one of our Chicago girls who was there. Thank God they're okay, her and her family, but it's quite a scary post. I don't have Facebook, but I did hear about it. 
אוקיי, פסק י"ט, ואך, אם צמאה ארץ אחוזתכם, עברו לכם על ארץ אחוזת השם אשר שכן שם משכן השם. והאוכל זו בתוכנו, ובהשם אל תמרודו, ואותנו אל תמרודו בבנותכם, ולכם מזבח מבלעדי מזבח השם אלוקינו. Here you have to see something that's absolutely stunning. What does it mean? The land that you have gotten as Nahala is Tameh. And Rashi says, Ah, we know that Hashem is not, uh, his Shekhinah is dwelling in our side of the Jordan. And if it really bothers you, that you're on the other side, come back! Come back! Right? Come back to where we have the Mishkan. Come back to our side. This is stunning. We will give you our land. Come back if you want. An offer that's absolutely mind-boggling because they're complaining to Yeshua a few chapters back, we don't have enough land. But they're saying, you know what, if you could just, come on. We'll deal with it. We'll figure it out. Come on back. If you want to give it, come back. Stunning. There's always room in Eretz Yisrael for everybody. Remember that. There's always room for you. Come. Right? But don't rebel against God. And then, right? No. Wasn't it true that Acha back in chapter seven, I told you they're going to mention him, he was trespassed, he was treacherous with the Cherem, and God was angry at all of Israel, and he was just one man, this is a very strange thing, he did not die in his sin. And the Mitsudas points out here, he, the word alone is missing. He did not die alone for his sin. In other words, other people suffered for his sin. So this is like actually a stunning amount of accusations that they're throwing at them. Like, you guys, you're so out of line. And they're like, I mean, you can see from their answer that they're shocked. Perhaps they should have seen that coming. But if you listen to their explanation, it's quite amazing. Pasuk Havala, very enlightening. They address themselves, they answer the two and a half to the heads of the uh, thousands, the families of Israel. In other words, they're not talking to Pinchas, they're talking to the, the princes. Now, when the, when the Tanakh says in, right, and they, you start off with some sort of uh, statement of an oath, and then you have im, it means not, right? In other words, they're saying, oh my gosh, right? Hashem is the God. And now, it's, it's, I, I, we don't really have time to talk about it. What does that mean? Kelo Kimashem, they're talking, they're invoking all these names of God, God's power. By God's power, we believe in God. What are you talking about? No, 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 you got all wrong. God, God knows. And the Jews are going to know too. We did not, we did not do it, Bimered. We did not do it as treachery. And if that's, if we did, God should, you know, not save us today, right? We deserve to be attacked, but it's not like that. Pasuk Chav Gimel. Live no one in Mizbeah. Lashum Mechare Hashem. 
you think we wanted to make a mistake to go away from God? If, if we plan to make carbonus there, to make sacrifices there, God will see that. God will punish us. Punish us. But it's not like that. We did it because we were worried about something specific. Lay more. And this is what they're worried about. Machar. This really makes me cry because it's true, right? Tomorrow, your children, we, we have an expression, right? We have different expressions for who is the wise one, the one who sees the future. They said, we're really worried. We're going to be on the other half of the Jordan, the other side of the Jordan, sorry, not the other half, the other side of the Jordan. And then we're going to come to Shiloh, let's say, to bring sacrifice with the Beit HaMikdash. We're going to come to visit Ali Al-Regal. And your children in the future are going to say to our children, what the heck are you doing here? You don't belong here. And not only that, right? As a cafe, we don't belong here. You're not, you're not the real deal. You're not even Jewish, right? And what's going to happen from that rejection? Our children will stop believing in God. And how many times do we see situations where people who are rejected stop believing in God? This is extremely foresighted. They're also afraid. On the, on the West Bank, they're afraid of separatism and leaving God and idolatry. And on the East Bank, they're afraid of being rejected and disenfranchised. And I think it's a much more concrete fear in many ways, because that's what happens. And I, I shouldn't say this, because, but I, my, my daughter remembers I was in her house when she mentioned to me that someone she knew had said some idiotic thing about how, you know, all the American Jews that are coming to live in Israel, like they all have some kind of you know, thing they're running away from. And I just, I just lost it. I mean, she will tell you, Ruthie, I just lost it. Anyone who made Aliyah knows it's not a piece of cake. It is not a piece of cake, right? And you, you, you're coming here from a place like, you know, a, a Western country, you're coming here and you're, you're having difficulties, not an easy thing. And they say, what are you doing here? You don't really belong here. And I find that like in, in the aggregate, Israelis will say, oh, yeah, we love a limb. But individually, they're like, what, what are they coming here for? What's wrong with them? Why don't they just stay where they have it good? It's, 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 a, it's a pervasive phenomenon. I'm sorry, it's bad. I'm generalizing a lot, but I see it in what they're saying. here. What, what's going to happen? They're going to reject us. They're going to say, what are you doing here? And then our children will say, well, we, we don't want to be with God. But we decided the thing we should do we said, we'll make it an altar, but not for sacrifice. It's going to be witnessed between us and you and between our and, and our forthcoming generations. We're afraid that you're gonna, your, your descendants will say that to us, and we don't want to have that happen. And we're gonna see that that's gonna be, right? when they see this thing, it's more of a monument, so to speak, 
than an altar. And they'll say, you see, look, that is our sign that the people on the other side of Jordan are part of us. Right? When the future generations will say these things, we will say, Take a look at this monument. Take a look at this uh, massive altar that to show that we're connected. God forbid that we should do such a thing. How could you possibly think that? And here we have a very, 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 very interesting development here, right? They're just like shocked and horrified. Now, first of all, we have a mitzvah that's called Ve'yitz of Nikiyim. You shall be clean, you shall be innocent. And, and what does that mean? That means if you're accused of something, you have to protest your innocence, assuming you're innocent, of course, and you have to... You don't want people to have a bad impression of you. You could be saying, well, I don't care what they think. But the Torah said, no, you should care what they think because it's a Chil Hashem. So they're coming forward. They're saying, no, this is horrifying. What are, you, what are you talking about? We wouldn't do that, right? Now, if you think about this, it's so important that they talk first. Because when you have those people who just, you know, shoot from the hip, attack first and, and talk later, you don't get a chance to work things through. And that's a tremendous uh, tragedy. You have here, as soon as this happens, and Pinchas the Kohen and the princes of the congregation and all the, the delegation that was with him, when they heard what they said, it was good in their eyes. Interesting comment. Now we know that God is with us. You didn't trespass. You didn't act treacherously to God with this. You say to Jewish people from a um, plague or from a, a, a civil war. Now here, we have to think about this. The Gemara talks about Pinchas here. And if you take a look in um, Lamed, Vaishma Pinchas HaKohen. Here it's Pinchas Ben Elazar HaKohen, Pinchas Ben Elazar HaKohen. Every place it's always Pinchas Ben Elazar HaKohen. And here it says Pinchas HaKohen. So there's a division in the Gemara. One, one opinion is that he got his kahuna when he killed Zimri when he acted zealously. And the other opinion is he's got the kahuna when he made peace. And there's a very beautiful pasuk, which I didn't put here, in Malachi. Right? It talks about Aaron. Right? And we had this uh, beautiful ideas about Aaron, Oev Shalom, Odev Shalom, right? That to love peace, to pursue peace is definitely a lesson for us to take away, right? You have to make that effort. You don't just, you know, assume that there's a problem. And don't uh, shoot from the hip. You know, make peace, right? There's a very beautiful Hasidish part on this Pasuk and Tila, which I'm very fond of, right? Pasuk Yud, Ma'at Ve'en Rasha. 
So the simple meaning is, the time will come when there won't be any more evil people in the land. The Hasidic part is, there will not be an evil person. When you look really closely at his place and you understand where he come, comes from, he won't look like a Russia to you anymore. And that's what happens. There's a tremendous simcha here. They're so happy. They come back and they tell everyone what happened. And the people, the Jewish people found this to be a good thing. And they blessed God. And they did not want to go to fight them. They did not want to do that. They, they decided against the Malbin points out here the beauty of this that <clears throat> if, if there was hatred between them, they would have been sorry not to have a fight. But because they really love their brothers, they're happy that there's a peaceful resolution. It's a very, very um, important thing. Now, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> the last pasuk, Lava Dalid. It's a very strange pasuk. And Rashi says, and the children of Reuben and God called him It's empty there. And Rashi fills in aid. They called him witness. Ki aid who? Aid who? It's a witness. Ki Hashem Elohim. Hashem is God. Right? Now, the Malvim says something very interesting on this. Ki Hashem. Right? And he, he says that really, when you see that they address, the, the two and a half tribes address the 10 delegates, they don't address Pinchas. Because Pinchas really knew that they were innocent. Because he says, it's the Malbin, Hashem. I knew that Hashem's spirit was resting on us and that wouldn't have happened if they had been such sinners. So he kind of had that intuition and that feeling that they weren't sinners. But when they saw the anger of the princes, that's who they addressed themselves to. That's who they said, we have to be Nikiyim. We have to prove to them that we are honest people and innocent people. I think that one of the, the main takeaways from this story, it's such an interesting story, is um, how easy it is to misunderstand other people and how carefully we should give people the kapsachut especially if they're good people. And we should really, it's Bonantel Makomo, take a very, very close look at what they're doing and what they are, um, and what they're seeing, because, right, once you look at it, there's not, they're not really evil. We're talking about good people. Why should we assume that they're evil people? And um, I also feel that the, the, the differences between the, the, the way the Jewish people have to navigate being one nation with 12 tribes is going to be a constant challenge going forward. And that's going to be one of the main problems that they're going to have to deal with.
in many different combinations of permutations. 